Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all but feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Sherpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me as always is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey Kelly. Hey Joey. What's shaking? Oh, all sorts of cool stuff. There's there's this really interesting thing that the the car dealerships or car car rental places are uh, short on car rentals right now because they can't get cars because they can't manufacture them fast enough and whatever. So uh, my husband and I are selling our our leased car to a to enterprise for three thousand dollars more than the buyout on the lease. Oh score. So I'm mentioning this in case anybody else is stuck in a lease that you didn't need anymore because of COVID and you want out, you know, go talk to one of your car rental places and and see if they will buy it up from you. Kelly, this is what I say all the time. People come to Spirit Sherpa to learn about the magic-y stuff, learn about the spiritual stuff, the life journey, all that crap. But really, this is the golden nugget that they're coming here for. (laughs) This is the nugget right here. Well, and this is the thing. You know, when you talk about manifesting, right? Sometimes manifesting is about being resourceful. You know, Kathy mentioned to me that there was an, you know, the people were needing rental cars and that there weren't any. And I went, huh, I have a car that has very little mileage because we've gone nowhere in a year, right? (laughs) How about we see if we can get them to buy it? And they went, yes, we'd love to, right? But you have to think outside of the box sometimes. It's it's literally when you when you want to manifest, this is a way to do that. And this is tax-free money, right? Because it's the sale of something you own. 
Yeah, and we've talked about this with manifesting before. Manifesting, and and that's not what we're going to talk about today. But just to to put a put put a pretty little bow on it here. But manifesting is. Uh, about being aware. It's not just saying, you know, I want this and it has to come in this form. It's being aware to what the universe, how the universe is going to respond. And we've discussed that. And here is the universe responding in the message that, that Kathy gave you and bada bing, bada boom, 3000 over, over the buyout. Hey, how you doing? That doesn't suck. No, it does not yeah. suck at all. <laughs> and you know what else doesn't suck? We have a guest. We do have a and guest. She's hysterical. <laughs> That's fantastic. We love her already. We do. Why don't you welcome her to Spirit Sherpa? <laughs> so Maggie Whitehouse is with us. And in addition to being incredibly spiritual and having all kinds of encyclopedic knowledge about the Kabbalah, uh, which she's going to talk to us about today, she's also a former vicar and a comedian. I'm oh, still those yeah. things always go together. Say again, current vicar? I'm still technically a vicar, yes. I mean, according to the Pope, I'm not a vicar, but I'm still practicing as a vicar. So it's <laughs> it all gets very confusing and very off the wall. And you talked about being outside the box. I don't think I've been uh, allowed in the box anymore, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and this, of course, is why we said yes to interviewing you for this for the podcast. <laughs> I've got my first. <laughs> I've got my first comedy gig in over a year next Thursday because we're beginning to get back in the United Kingdom, and I can't tell you how nervous I am because I've had a whole year out of the pulpit because our churches haven't been meeting, and I become very what we in England call potty mouthed. Did you know that phrase? <laughs> yes, true you true. can imagine we, it if you don't know it. it often. And of course, I'm going on a gigging to start with where everybody expects you to be potty mouthed. And in fact, if you turn up in a, um, a clerical collar at a comedy gig as a performer, everybody else starts going, oh, no, oh, no, we can't swear. Oh, no. Oh, what are we going to do? So if I'm an opener, which I usually do open because my stuff is a little bit intellectual. So by the time the audience are drunk by the end, they can't get a word I'm saying. They can't get so it. So I kind of have to open and sort of start swearing a little bit just to make everybody go oh it's okay it's okay <laughs> <laughs> otherwise all the other acts apologize which is just deeply embarrassing for everybody <laughs> yeah well you'll fit right in here <laughs> good okay maggie uh, maggie i've got to ask because you started out by saying you're still a vicar but the pope doesn't think so there's got to be a story there to that Okay, well, I'm an independent Catholic priest. I'm part of the Apostolic <laughs> Liberal Catholic Church. And you have this in the States. Uh, in fact, I think the movement may have started here, or, or in the Netherlands, actually, and also in South America, South Africa. And it was a movement started at the end of the 19th century by a load of young Catholic men who just suddenly went, when the Pope said when he could be infallible if he spoke ex cathedra, they just said, that's just one step too far. We can't be going with this because no human being is fallible and you don't like gay guys and we're gay so they decided that they'd do a breakaway and form the independent or liberal or old catholic church there's all different terminologies for it now and of course there's all different kinds of categories in it and of course some of them like the others and some of them don't like the others but i'm in a lovely little church flower of carmel we're called and we're going to be associated with a lovely big church in california at some point a gnostic church which is lovely Lovely. Uh, so I was ordained as a Catholic priest by a formerly Catholic 
bishop. And in 2007, Pope Benedict, not Francis, he's a sweetie, though he can't go against the rules and laws of the Vatican. Pope Francis did um, an ex-cathedra that any woman ordained into the Catholic Church and any minister who ordained her was immediately simultaneously excommunicated. And he also said that this invocation should go back in time and forward in time so that every woman ever ordained as a Catholic was excommunicated. So technically, I was a goner the second I lay down on the floor and surrendered my life to God. But oddly, God seemed to not notice. God seems still to be in touch, which I think is really good of God. And they're very polite, too, because, frankly, the Pope was not polite. You know how I found out about this? Wikipedia. He could have sent a text. (laughs) And now you know why I said yes to the interview. (laughs) Oh, you're hysterical. To be honest, I find out everything on Wikipedia. Really. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who doesn't? Well, I've also I got send a, the money every month. Yeah, yeah. I, I I donate too. Um, I've got the, a great opening line for the gig next week, which is along the lines of, "Hey, the rest of you, I'm sure you feel sorry for me. You don't want want to be a vicar or anything like, but hey, I have been paid for starting to drink alone at eight o'clock every Sunday morning for the last year, and you <laughs> had to do it for free." <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny. Thank you. So so we are going to talk about your book on the Kabbalah. Right? Kabbalah and healing, so, yes. Ta- Kabbalah and healing. Tell us about what that means to you. Tell us about oh, the... Oh, it's... The, it's yeah. A lot of it has got the story of my life in. I found the first introduction in the last chapter about how I got to where I am to write this book because I was diagnosed with what was supposed to be a terminal cancer and it's gone. So that's part of the journey, part of the journey. And part of that journey was also learning who I really was as opposed to who I thought I was. But the the reason I got into this strange Kabbalistic world. And the word Kabbalah simply means to receive in Hebrew. So a Kabbalist is somebody who's in direct communication. And the idea is to become a mystic, a mystic without a monastery, as Caroline Mace would put it. Uh, and I'm nothing to do with the Kabbalah Center, by the way. I'm, I'm far too weird for them. And uh, <laughs> I, I got into this for the simple reason that I was what you'd call an armchair Christian, which meant I turned up at Christmas and Easter, perhaps. And certainly... Uh, to quote St. Augustine, God grant me chastity, constancy, and patience, but not yet. You know, I, I, <laughs> we've got seven, three score years and ten, and if I can keep the Ten Commandments by the end of those, I'll be happy with things, you know. And then I got married to a lovely guy, and uh, I thought, happy ever after, as most people getting married hope for. But one year and 16 days after our wedding, he died. And the hospital chaplain did that wonderful hospital chaplain thing of what is your religion, my dear? And I said, oh, Church of England, which is the equivalent of Episcopalian, because that's what I signed the forms in. But I'd never really thought about it. Oh, and what is your husband's religion? Oh, he's an atheist. And he sort of drew himself up. This is 30 years ago. I don't think it happens so much now, except perhaps in the South. Uh, He said, uh, oh, I'm very sorry, my dear, but if your husband doesn't believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm afraid he can't go to heaven. And he got up and left the room. (laughs) 
And that's not really helpful at a deathbed. And I now know that was an angel in disguise because it basically made me throw my armchair religion out of the window. And the majority of folk at that point go atheist, but I'm an awkward little cuss. And I decided I was going to get down and dirty and fight this. You know, just sort of go, hang on, I don't believe that. That's not right. I don't believe any of that. I'm going to go and find out what this guy Jesus actually said, what he actually taught, what you're supposed to do, where it went wrong, why people believe this, and and also to find out that Henry was okay in heaven because I really wanted to know that back then. So I went to university to study New Testament Greek because I thought, well, I can I can read the Gospels in the original language. And then I discovered there's 32,000 different versions of the New Testament in Greek. Fortunately, only about 30 of them are actually radically different, and some of them are fragments, but that wasn't going to do it. So I basically went to a church one day and said, can you help me here? Because I want to believe, and I want some help, and I don't know how to go about this, because I can't go down the theological line because I don't believe it. But I do know there's something. And within six weeks, I met a Jewish guy who was as far at the end of his rope from Judaism as I was from Christianity. And over the next eight years, we sort of reeled each other back in. And he got sent down to um, a Kabbalist teacher in London, which was a two hour and a half hour drive from where we lived, uh, by my teacher of healing, because I went into the new age to start with, which was great. I learned how to be a healer. And frankly, I think anybody who is a Christian or a vicar should train to be a healer because Jesus was a healer. If you can't do anything like that, what are you playing at? You know, he told us quite clearly, you will do greater things than I. Well, I'm not going to manage that, honey, but I'll do my best, you know. So I, I, my husband uh, of the time got involved with this Kabbalistic group in London because my teacher of healing couldn't handle him and sent him down there. She was quite right, I must say. And after a little while, what he said to me, because he'd drive down to London two and a half hours in either direction every Thursday night for this one-hour course, which was free. And he told me about it and it just sounded, it just filled in dots, you know, it just made me go, this is interesting. And I said, can I go? And he said, no, you can't. You haven't done the workshops. You haven't done the this. You haven't done the that. But I mentioned the awkwardness beforehand. And I just phoned the guy up and said, hello, I'm his wife. Can I come? And he said, sure. Which was the first thing that hacked that husband off. I have to inform you. So I went down to London with him uh, for those eight years, uh, three turns a year. He drove down, I drove back. And I would sit in this little room with mostly Jewish folk, but not all Jewish folk. And I sat there and I listened to this unfolding of perennial wisdom, the kind of wisdom that fits Buddhism, Sufism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, agnosticism, anything, witchcraft. You know, it was just that there is something greater than us and we are fully connected with it and it wishes to work through us. And I just fell in love with this tradition. I absolutely adored it. And I hacked so many people off because I'm a woman and I'm not Jewish. And I started 
teaching it and I started writing about it because I, I write books anyway. I love to write. I've always written. If I was shipwrecked on a desert island, I'd write a novel in the sand. You know, I just would. And so I, I started writing about it and that got me into even more trouble because they all thought I was stealing the tradition. And I must admit, I was a bit of a prat in a few areas around that. And it just went on and on and on. And now I have my own regular online group with people from all over the world. It's extraordinary. And we sit there once a week and we devote ourselves to working as best we can to represent the divine in the world in a manner of humanity, compassion and great passion and joy. And we do a lot of internal work and I wouldn't change my life for anything. I really wouldn't. This tradition for me has been a lifesaver. It gave me my faith back. It gave me my strength. Uh, it took me through life-threatening illness, which I called a life-enhancing illness, actually. It brought me my hopefully final husband, three, thicker with three husbands. And I would say on the circuit, the first one's dead and I haven't worked out what to do with the second one yet. But the third one gets a little bit worried when he sees me digging deep holes in the garden. But... <laughs> Oh, and one of my Kabbalah teachers did say to me, oh, dear, 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 you shouldn't go into comedy. You're going to bring the clergy into disrepute. So I've got that in the act too, which said, right, I'm in a profession that promotes um, misogyny, homophobia, and paedophilia. I hardly think one middle-aged woman making jokes about God is going to bring the clergy into disrepute. (laughs) Well, there is that. There is that. You know, I often uh, have this conversation with people who are stepping into being spiritual teachers and, you know, they have this belief that you have to be this um, really pious and spiritual person and that you, you have to, you know, be all spirit all the time. And it's to the extent where they're not themselves. And I'm like, look, just be yourself. If you're irreverent, be irreverent. I'm if very are, irreverent. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's why we get along, right? So, you know, if you cast, cast, if you, if you, if you are, you know, less than normal, be less than normal. Be, be wildly abnormal, you know, um, but be yourself because each person brings what they are to the table and that attracts the people who are right for them. Yeah. So, so stop trying to be, you know, the, the spiritual guru on high and just be you. It makes you far more accessible. Right. It does indeed. There's a lovely um, Kabbalistic um, interpretation of these things, which is the ego is who you think you are, who you were taught you were. And the true self is who you actually are. And the soul is who you came here to become. And you can't become through thinking to acting through who you think you are. And most of us live in this incredible world of being who we think we are. And it isn't us at all. We make all these silly mistakes because we try to be the perfect daughter or the perfect mother or the perfect wife or the good employee or even the rebel. We think we're the rebel, but actually we're just us. And we're perfect as we are. And that doesn't mean to say we can't improve. Of course we can. But accepting who you actually are is terrific. It's fun too. 
If someone were to read your book, what would they get from it? They get a description. Basically, they get the message that I've got is that your relationship with whatever inspires you is the most important thing in your life. And it's actually following a Kabbalistic interpretation of the biblical tithing system, which is really misunderstood, especially in the prosperity churches and um a lot of the synagogues, temples all around the world, which is you must give 10% of your income to your church. But that's not what it says. What it says very clearly in the Bible, and the book echoes it, which is make your connection with what you perceive the divine to be. And everything else comes from that, which is what Jesus said. Seek you first the kingdom of God and everything else is added unto you. So the first thing we have to do is unravel all this utter cackles, to quote Jesus. He said crap. Cackles. Consider not, uh, do not consider the crap of tomorrow because it will take care of itself. It's translated as evil, but it's actually crap, which I love. The very fact that Jesus himself swore, so I can too. So you can't blame me on that one. So it's all about uncovering all the blocks that you put in place between you and God. And your religion is quite frequently one of them. And who you think you are is another one. And for so many of us, this patriarchal aspect of the divine is incredibly off-putting now. So one of the things I've done is study with a British theologian. Who, oh, please, Kelly, get her on your show. She's amazing. She's called Dr. Margaret Barker. And she's investigated the first temple of the Jews, where she's discovered that the divine feminine was honored just as much as the divine ma- masculine, and not as God's wife, but as the mother of the divine. And then the wife of the divine. So the mother gives birth to the divine and the wife resurrects the divine. And you can actually start to see that pattern in the Gospels recreated because her discovery is that the Gospels and how they were presented was an attempt to take the Hebrews back to the principles of the first temple where the divine mother and ecology and understanding the land were celebrated and were part of the really important teaching of that time. And this all got thrown out partially because of the further Eastern religions with their goddesses and the Hebrews wanted to get exclusive. And there were all sorts of Asherahs and all that. Hmm? Is that the Shekinah that you're talking about? Yes, well, the Shekinah is the presence of God in the world. So that can be, it is a feminine noun, yes. So we would say Malkut, the kingdom or the sovereignty of God is Shekinah. And that is the aspect of the divine that gives birth to us and receives us back at death. So I think that's very motherly. You know, it's the mother that gives birth. Oh, it's not necessarily your mother that holds you when you die. Hopefully you're going to outlive your mother. But the point is there that the feminine is the aspect of us that deals with these down and dirty stuff. Back in Jesus's day, for example, uh, we, we nowadays think that Orthodox women can't go to the synagogue and sometimes the teaching is that they can't because they're impure. But in Jesus's day, if you said that to a woman that she was not worthy of going to the synagogue, she'd laugh in your face because she was she was the equivalent of the Roman goddess Vespa. The household was her domain. Her husband actually had to ask permission to come in the house if he wanted to. And on Friday nights when they invoked the Sabbath, the woman and only the woman was the vessel, the womb, to draw down the light of the Sabbath. And she would do that by lighting the candles with a beautiful prayer, which I still say, thank God. And then she would take 
because she was enlightened by having done that prayer and lighting the candles, she would then pick up the wine, pour it for her husband, who would then take the rest of the service. And then he would potter off to the synagogue to maintain the prayer. But without the invocation of the feminine, there was nothing. I mean, people don't live it like that nowadays. But when you do, it's extraordinary. Uh, my husband isn't Jewish and I'm not Jewish, but we'll still do the Sabbath Eve. And I become the divine feminine and invoke it and pass the wine to him. And he does the wine and the water and the bread. And it's just, it's just lovely. It's, it's really understanding what the indigenous nation people know about Sky Woman and the creation of the world through the womb of the mother. And it was all there in Judaism and in Kabbalah. You can find it. And that's, that's what just really lifts my heart. But it wasn't the answer to the question you wanted. The book is basically about getting out, getting out of your objections to letting God help you. <laughs> Awesome. So, I, so much of what you've said is it resonates with what we're covering on the podcast right now, because uh, you're, we're we're doing the wheel of the year as part of the podcast this year, and so we talked about the consort and the goddess, right? And we will be discussing that more come midsummer as well, and. We've also, uh, for those of you who are into magical practices, the drawing down of the light is, is very similar to drawing down the moon, right? And, and that's that concept. So these are, these are the ways in which all of the spiritual practices that are out there really do come from a core center point. It is all it, one. It, it is, is all, all one. one. The perennial tradition is the one story and the say the story is told again and again it's told in harry potter it's told in elizabeth googe's the little white horse it's told in lord of the rings and florence scoville shin who's one of the great metaphysical teachers of the 1920s 30s uh said that the way to get a successful movie was to put some metaphysics in it i mean i don't know if that's the truth nowadays but people are searching people even atheists are searching for something they're searching for meaning and what i always say to people is if you can clear your relationship with the divine, then you don't need to search for meaning anymore because you are significant. You are important. You know how important you are to God. And we're all important to God because we're all unique and we're the only, I mean, I, God, God eats chocolate and drinks red wine through me. And God can't enjoy chocolate and red wine in exactly the same way with anybody else on the planet. So there's something unique about how God and I share the chocolate and the red wine. And I do not do um, a chocolate croissant with communion, I promise. But I do do decent wet bread and a nice Merlot. <laughs> I, I vote for chocolate croissant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll ask the bishop, but I'm not sure he'll give me permission on that. Oh, <laughs> smear on. a bit of Nutella on the wafers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so how is it? You know, because I'm sitting here and I'm I'm watching you talk about, listening to you talk about um, Kabbalah, which is is a Jewish tradition, and yet you are in a Catholic uh, or you know alternative Catholic tradition as a vicar, and so how are you marrying those in your in your practice? Beautifully, 
Um, (laughs) I'm very lucky in that my bishop is a Kabbalist and an alchemist and an author. He wrote a wonderful book called Sacred Magic of the Angels a few years ago, which is um, theurgy or sacred magic and how to um, invoke the... And you should should talk to him too, Kelly. I mean, there's some wonderful people over this side of the pond who are are doing this magical stuff. Um, Well, for me, because it was the healing of my relationship with Christianity, because up until then I'd just thrown Jesus out of the window because I couldn't believe it. But find what fascinated me was actually studying the social mores of the times, how the people lived, how they would have worshipped, what they actually did believe as opposed to what we've been taught they believed. And I ended up um, going on a Kabbalistic pilgrimage to Israel with my group. Uh, and it was, it was quite scary, actually, because I was probably the only Christian there, even if I was still not really a Christian, and everybody else was Jewish. And we were going to Jewish sites, so that meant there was an awful lot of segregation. Uh, so the men went in one side and the women went in the other in the tombs and the synagogues and at the Western Wall too. And women being what they were, because the leader of the group was was male, we were beginning to go, they're having more fun than we are, you know, they're getting the proper teaching. And we're stuck around this end with the workmen and nobody's taking in. And part of me was going, well, why don't we do something? Why don't we get together? Why won't we do some prayers together? But I didn't because I wasn't Jewish and I was quite new. And this finally came to a head at the Western Wall uh, in Jerusalem, where the men were all together and they were definitely praying. The women were milling around getting cross. And we went round back to the hotel and I started feeling ill, which was unusual because I'm a Turian and I'm solid as a rock usually. And I didn't want my supper, which for a Turian was even more unusual. So I went up to the room and had a bath. And while I was lying in the bath, I literally got this voice in my head saying, Maggie, why didn't you speak? And I said, well, because I'm not good enough. And the voice said, this sort of heavy sigh, and it sort of said, you know something, Maggie, you're absolutely right. You're not good enough. You probably never will be good enough. But you were the only one listening. (laughs) And we have to work with the ones who will listen. And I just fell about with laughter. And that was, you know, a real breakthrough moment for me that this angelic, guidance or whatever was coming through with humor and I said okay I get it I get it and it said well another time will you speak up and I said yes and it was do you promise oh shoot yes so I said yes. <laughs> and the next day I thought, well, it'll be all right. You know, we're pottering off down to Qumran. But we were going to go to the Temple on the Rock beforehand, to the, which is now um, Islamic, of course. But it's still it's the most beautiful, wonderful, holy place. And when we got there, the door was locked. And they were, were doing some extra cleaning and they wouldn't let us in for another half hour. So our group leader said, oh, we'll go back down to the Western Wall for half an hour. And all the way down, I was going, oh, how could you? How could you? You rat bag, you rat bag, you rat bag, you rat bag. <laughs> and worse to God, because I'd made a promise. So we got down to the Western Wall. Oh, God. Right. So I just said to the women, let's get into a circle and start praying together. And that was all I had to do. It just took off from there. So one of the first lessons I got was when you're actually in tune, it's a lot easier than you think it's going to be. <laughs> You yeah. really aren't going to have to do that much. Yeah, well, 
it's a lot easier because you know you do if you do what you're told it's a lot harder because you you get told to do things that you're like you want me to do what yes spot on kelly spot on yes (laughs) it is both i often say to people it's simple but nobody ever said it was easy so you've summed that up much better than i did So that's basically yeah. it, I, uh, because what happened after that was we did go to Qumran, and one of the things you do at the Western Wall is you put a prayer in the wall, as you probably know. And I put two prayers in the wall. The first one was to do with my sex life, and that wasn't uh, that could only be answered by getting divorced, but we won't go into that one. That's a whole different ball game and podcast. And the other one was to help God behold God, <laughs> which is the ultimate Kabbalistic prayer. And uh, when we got to Qumran that day, I was actually standing looking out over where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I was standing next to a beautiful, beautiful woman whom I still know, who's the daughter of a very famous British TV presenter. So this was a woman who had power and clout available to her. And we were standing there, and she turned to me and she said, there's a woman out there holding two scrolls. She's trying to attract our attention. I thought she meant somebody physical to start with, but of course she was using her third eye. And I couldn't see anything, but I obediently looked. And there was this moment when this amazing, beautiful, strong, gorgeous woman funked it. And she said, she's looking at you, and turned around and walked away. And as soon as she did that, the whole plot of my first novel, The Book of Deborah, which is about um, a fictional sister of Jesus, came into my head, literally fell in through the crown chakra. And I basically had to run back to the coach and start writing. And it was just one of those ridiculous things. An agent turned up out of the blue, a publisher turned out of the blue, and Deborah went to press a year later. She was amused. She was amused. You had a muse who handed you a book. Yeah, it was that's a ca- awesome. yeah, it was a cabalistic novel about Jesus. So that's how I linked it. Really, it's in ten chapters. It goes up the ten separate of the tree of life, and it it still sells. Thank God. And I oddly enough, I get a lot of Christians contacting me saying, oh, "Thank you, that made so much sense." And what's the name of that book? It's called The Book of Deborah. The girl is called Deborah. The Book of Deborah. She's actually Jesus' cousin, but after she's orphaned, she's raised in the Holy Family. And she's a very angry, um, upset, disabled little girl hurt in an accident. And she hates the whole world, but she grows up next to this big brother who takes care of her and teaches her things and takes her with him on his ministry. So we have the women's point of view of what it was like traveling with his ministry as well. And us. You know, sometimes I read it because I read the book and go, oh, I don't remember that bit. That's really good. (laughs) (laughs) I I listened to the first episode of this podcast recently and I went, oh, I didn't remember that. (laughs) Oh, I'm with you. I understand. You know, like I I totally get that. It's part of the reason why I do the co-host with Joey is that he tells me what stories I've told before. Oh, my God, Joey, I could do with somebody like you for our podcast. I have a, a podcast with a lady who lives down the road from me. I live in Dartmoor on Devon, which is very rural, very um, bleak, bones of the land landscape. And it, it's, it's magical, mystical, with lots of stone circles and stone fortresses and old Bronze Age wood um, stone huts which are still up on the moor so it's a wonderful historical and very magical place and this lady I met down the road helped me when I was ill and she's a witch I would call her a shaman but she calls herself a witch and she works with the land and with herbs and healing and um, 
we got a podcast called Wise Women, the Vicar and the Witch, because we thought, well, why don't we have a vicar and a witch talking about this perennial tradition? And of course, we started off by saying, who's going to get burnt at the stake by the end of this first episode? <laughs> <laughs> so far, neither of us has been. But, but we could really do with a Joey because every now and then we go, have we talked about this before? Oh, God, have we mentioned it? Oh, well, never mind. It probably can go around the circle again. <laughs> I've done, I know yeah. I've done St. Paul on money at least three times, but it's worth doing again. There you go. <laughs> this has been fantastic. We're up against time here, so I am going to bring us around. But uh, Maggie, where can people find out more about you? Oh, well, you can just Google me, Joey. It's really embarrassing. I wrote a book about uh, Opus <laughs> Please Day. tell me you're on Wikipedia. I am. <laughs> Opus <laughs> Day put me up on Wikipedia because I wrote a factual book about them. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably another reason that's the reason why the church of england don't like me of course but there you go and only yeah, the methodist <laughs> <laughs> but my my website is maggiewhitehouse.com it's currently being redeveloped but there's a fair amount on it and some comedy and stuff and if you go and google me on and look at me on youtube there's loads of cabalistic videos and free stuff and prosperity stuff because i spent 20 years teaching prosperity because i really needed to learn it uh, so there's loads of freebie stuff on there and hopefully you will uh, join us in the spirit sherpa facebook group so that if people want to ask questions to. directly oh may i yes, thank you awesome. absolutely awesome. absolutely can we so, swear that you'll be in the group soon <laughs> we'll get her set up as soon as we finish this recording and uh, you can ask her questions there so that is fantastic. This has been so much fun. Oh, and we've even got a, a bark of approval there. We have. This is, this is from Sappho, the rescue beagle. Uh, I did a, an online comedy gig last week and, and she turned turned up in that. And somebody said, oh, God, I just love it. A, a vicar with a dog named after a gay female poet who inspired the name of the island Lesbos. I was just going to say. <laughs> and so another excommunication. <laughs> I'm like, we haven't covered that yet in mythology, but that's funny. <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. Kelly, is there anything you want to wrap up with here? Let's see. This is what we do for Kelly as a Maggie, where Kelly gives us a some more nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> Actually, why don't we have Maggie do that? Ooh. So the, 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 the idea of the Kellyism is you just, you wrap it all up in a single phrase for the, for the listeners. So, uh, there you Kabbalah go. teaches that a good decision cannot be made until the decision is ready to be made. And to make that decision, you have to remember who you are and focus on inspiration and understanding, loving kindness and discernment. And if you can batch all four of those in together into the package, your decision will make itself. So perfect. <laughs> so perfect. I'm glad you handed that one off, Kelly. <laughs> so perfect. Well, thank you both very much. And that is all that we have for this week. But be sure to join us next time as Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I am Joey C. here with Kelly Sparta and Maggie Whitehouse. And you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. 
Spirit Trippa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under a Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to www.creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to kelly at kellysparta.com. To sign up for or get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to www.kellysparta.com. This episode of Spirit Sherpa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions with post-production by Christopher Wright. Into my home and my love and my life and me. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing? But you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.